Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. It's a short-sighted thing to say, I want to partner with experience because that'll get me credibility. You only need, what do you, how many deals do you have to do before you have credibility? One or two, maybe? I mean, a handful at the most, but one or two, and you've already sort of done it. You have some credibility. And now, theoretically, you have a partner in perpetuity because you wanted to do your first couple of deals. And then you may not think you need or want that partner in a year or two or three or four or five, and, and you have them. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me for another live Q&A replay from my Facebook Lives that happen every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Guys, I am there every week to answer your questions for free, giving you my time. Having that interaction, it's a blast. I love doing it. I get some great, great questions. And that's why I bring them here for you every single Thursday, because I think there's some real value into hearing what other people are struggling with, hearing their questions, and hearing the answers to those questions. So this week was awesome. We talked a little bit about how to partner when you're trying to get into multifamily. Is partnering the right thing? How do you get off the ground? How do you get that credibility? How do you know what to do if you've never done anything in multifamily before? I had a, a long, kind of a long answer for that one. Um, uh, I talked uh, to someone who had an off-market deal and some weird financing that they were trying to work through. So we talked about that a little bit. We talked about whether or not when you're wholesaling, how much earnest money you should be putting down. If any, should you put earnest money down? Do you have to put earnest money down? How much is reasonable? There was someone who asked a question about that and we went through that quite a bit. And then we talked a lot about hiring the right people for your company, the right culture, the right ethical fit, uh, the right value set so that your company is not bringing toxic people in and ruining the culture and ultimately dragging your company down. So we talked about that. It was a lot of fun, guys. I want you to be able to benefit from it. So here you go, my latest Thursday Q&A. Okay, we are live. I am back with you with another uh, Facebook Q&A. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, I am here every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern time to answer your questions live about real estate. And uh, we are here at 7, like I said, 7 Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. And uh, I'm here to answer your question, guys. So log on. We come here every single Wednesday. And the idea here is you have a real estate investing company. You've got questions. You, you're facing challenges, you're stuck, you don't know what to do, you need some advice, you just want to bounce some ideas, I am here for that. We can have that conversation. Throughout the week, people send me questions. They always, I always get questions throughout the week. And so I bring those on here too, so that I can answer them live and get everyone involved. And you all can benefit from hearing the answers to other people's questions. Because frankly, sometimes people ask questions and you might not have thought of it. So this is a great opportunity for you to be a fly on the wall if you're not able to be here live and you're listening to a replay or something. This is a great opportunity to be a fly on the wall and hear other people's questions and really uh, dive into their situation and their challenges. And hopefully that 
helps you along the way. If you do have a real estate business already and you really want to take it to the next level, like you want to get very, very serious about it. Maybe you want to quit your full-time job. Maybe you've already quit your full-time job and you have, you know, you've basically burned the boats, you burn the ships and you need to make this work. And you're not sure how to go from this small company, this small business that's maybe doing a flip here and there, or maybe you've done a few wholesale deals or you have a couple of rentals, but you really need to ratchet up. You really want to get to that seven figure uh, number you want to start making much, much bigger profits and create long-term wealth. If that's who you are and you're very, very serious about that, then you need to go to seven-figure investor. That's the word seven spelled out, sevenfigureinvestor.com. I have developed a program designed specifically for you, for the person who's very, very serious about building their business and getting to seven figures because, you know, either you've been stuck at where you are for a while and you're just not sure how to get to that next point. Maybe you're not getting enough leads. Maybe you're not really sure how to negotiate the deal. Maybe you're not sure how to maximize the profits on your deal. Maybe you need to build a team. Maybe you're struggling tracking the numbers inside of your company, or it could be all of those things, right? I know a lot of people who are kind of struggling with all those things, but they managed to get a business going and they're doing a few deals here and there, or maybe you're doing a lot of deals and you just really want to take that business to the next level and you need help doing that. That is what my program is designed for. I am trying to get you to the next level, seven figures and beyond in the next 12 months. And I think we can do that together, but the only way we can do it is for you to sign up and become part of the program and let me help you reach those goals because we can do it. It doesn't have to take years and decades. You can do it very quickly, but it's so much easier to get to your goals when you just follow in the footsteps of somebody else. So you ask somebody like me, who's gotten their business from a very, uh, you know, modest business of doing a couple of deals here and there, a few deals a month to doing over 10 and 12 deals a month and getting to seven figures. And I did it all in 12 months and I can help you do it. People helped me do it. I needed help. I had questions. I couldn't do it all on my own. And I don't think you should try to do it on your own either. If you want that help from me, if you want to take your business seriously, now's the time. Go to seven figure investor. Like I said, it's seven, the word spelled out seven figure Sign up. We're getting started very, very soon with this program. And I don't know when the next one will be. I really, really don't. So I'm going to pour my heart and soul, everything I have into this program. You need to be a part of it right now. And let's get that business off and running for you in the next 12 months. Okay. On to the questions. Uh, let's do this. First question. I want to break into multifamily investing, the multifamily investing space. And because I have no experience, I'll need a partner with a track record to be taken seriously by brokers, lenders, property managers, et cetera. It seems that anyone who's looking to partner is also looking for another partner with experience themselves. How do you find a great partner when you're just starting out? Well, number one, I don't believe that you need a partner. I think that's false. Uh, it, could it help if you've had a partner with experience and credibility and they've done this a million times? Of course, of course, that would be helpful. It's not required though. Don't, don't feel like partners are required because partners, it's a short-sighted thing to say, I want a partner with experience because that'll get me credibility. That You only need, what do you, how many deals do you have to do before you have credibility? One or two, maybe? I mean, a handful at the most, but one or two and you've already sort of done it. You have some credibility. And now, theoretically, you have a partner in perpetuity because you wanted to do your first couple of deals. 
And then you may not think you need or want that partner in a year or two or three or four or five and, and you have them, right? Um, I think partnering on a deal for the first couple of, of deals may, maybe is okay. And maybe that's what you're saying, just partnering on a deal, like a one-off thing. Hopefully that's what you mean. And you're not talking about putting together an LLC and giving someone half your company because of their experience. Now, that being said, partnerships can be very, very tricky. I've done a lot of talks on partnerships. I wrote a book called Just Start Real Estate, which you can see right there. And there's a whole chapter on partnerships and how to go about it and what, what you should and shouldn't do. Okay. You're not really asking about the pitfalls of partnerships, but what I would say is instead of, instead of bringing on a partner, maybe what you should do is invest in coaching, invest in mentors, invest in a, in a mastermind that can help you with your multifamily investing. And they can give you uh, the advice and sometimes even be the credibility on a deal. Sometimes you can get into those uh, mastermind like that and the people running it, the folks that are involved in that might come along and sort of help mentor and talk, do some talking to some folks and, uh, and maybe for a piece of the deal. But it's like a one-off and they have your best, you know, your best, uh, you know, your be their best intentions and, and your best uh, interests at heart. And you can do it that way. Th that would be my suggestion. I would absolutely find a mentor or a mastermind before I bring on a partner. Okay. Uh, the mastermind in the multifamily space that I would suggest is uh, multifamily live. It's called, if you go to best multifamily event, Dot com. That's bestmultifamilyevent.com. That's where I would start my journey of trying to find the best multifamily mastermind. Uh, I think that's it's a small investment for an event that's coming up soon. And you can get tons out of that. You can network, you can meet people, potentially find a partner there, right there, because you know, you know they're into that space too, or po possibly join the mastermind and get that real hands-on, real quality um, coaching that I think that you need when you're starting any new endeavor. I absolutely would recommend them. So that would be my, my two cents. Go to that event, network, potentially find somebody right there that's willing and wants to work with you or join the mastermind and let them mentor you through the process and help you do it without taking on a partner. So that would be... That'd be the way I'd go. Okay. I found an off next question. I found an off market deal that matches all my criteria. The current owner wants to sell to me, but has a seller financed deal with another investor from a year ago. I don't want to simply take over the note because the terms don't seem favorable to the seller. Is there any way for me to buy this property free and clear without taking over the seller financing note? Um, wow, this might be the shortest answer I've ever given anyone in the history of this Q&A, but yes, the way that you take it over free and clear is to buy it. Come up with the financing, buy it hard money, buy, use a private, invest, a private investor. Um, but it's like, I, I think this might be a case of overthinking it. Like there's a seller finance thing in note. You don't want to take over the payments. If you don't want to take over the payments, then buy it, raise the money, borrow the money, buy the house. I don't know. You didn't say if this is, uh, you said it's an off-market deal, but I don't know if this is for a rental or if you're going to flip it or wholesale or what you're going to do. But yeah, if you don't want to take over the note, then then just buy the property. If it's a good deal, I mean, then buy it and flip it or buy it and use it, make it a you know a rental or whatever you're going to do. But yeah, buy it. Like 
maybe I'm underthinking it, but the way that you phrase this question, it's like, hey, there's an underlying note that I don't want any part of. How do I buy it free and clear? Buy it free and clear. Um, that, that's the way I'd go about it. Okay. Uh, and listen, if I didn't answer that question in, in what you were asking, if I'm missing your point, by all means, chime in and, and re-ask it or clarify what I've missed. But I think you just need to go to a hard money lender, go to a private lender, um, find financing and buy the property. Okay. Uh, I have heard that it takes, I'm sorry, hang on. Okay. I have heard that it takes a little to no money to start wholesaling, but every time I find a good deal, they want a $3,000 earnest money deposit and I don't have that saved. Is the EMD often 3,000 and up? I need to get my feet in the game. Um, no, the earnest money is not $3,000 and up normally. That's not the way it just works across the board. Um, I don't, we don't typically give earnest money when we do wholesale deals to the seller. We, we just don't give them earnest money. If they have to have earnest money, we'll give them a hundred bucks, maybe. But we don't even do that, honestly, very often. It's super rare that we give any earnest money. We just don't do it. We don't bring up earnest money uh, during any of the talking or any of the signing of the contract. There's nothing on our contract that there's no space for earnest money. We just don't bring it up. It's not an issue. We, we typically are in and out of these properties within a few weeks. And so, you know, it, it kind of gets signed and, and it gets sold and everyone makes the money that they were supposed to make. Um, and in earnest money is never really brought up. It's just not a thing. Now, if somebody brings it up, like I said, I would say, okay, I, you know, $100, does that work? Like, what's the difference, right? How much, what's the how much you give them? Now, the flip side of it is, if it's a really, really great deal, like you're going to make a lot of money on this thing, then give them the money. And if you don't have it, borrow it, go get it, go online, borrow it from a hard money lender, borrow it from a private lender, like find someone who can fund your earnest money if it's a smoking deal. Because if it's a smoking, smoking great deal, there's a good chance other investors are offering to give them a big down payment because they want to lock it up. So you have to be willing to do it, but on every deal? No, 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 no. Like you do not bring it up. It doesn't become part of the conversation. It's not on the contract. You need for them to focus on what are you going to do for them? They have a problem. They have a challenge. There's something going on in their life that makes them need to sell you their property. And if that's the case, then you need to, your sales job is to sell them on the fact that you are there to be a solution for them. You're going to solve their problem. And in the process, you're going to buy their property. Earnest money is not given in, in my company. We don't do earnest money unless it's a great deal and they ask for it without us bringing it up. Then, then we may, right? Sometimes you just do what you have to do when the, when the deal is, is good enough. But uh, no, to answer your question, earnest $3,000 and up is not standard. That is just not standard. I don't, I don't know where you're where you're from or where your target market is here, where you're working. Um, but I don't think that $3,000 earnest money is standard. It doesn't, it should not be standard anywhere. That doesn't mean that there aren't wholesalers out there that give, you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand $3,000 on every one of their deals. But like in my case, if I do a hundred deals, which I do typically annually, $3,000 is, $300,000 of money that I'm just throwing out there, you know, 
every year and letting someone hold on to it for a few weeks. It doesn't make any, I'm, I would never do that. I, I would never do that. And we, we hit a period in our company where people seemed like they were asking for earnest money more often. And we just, we redirect the conversation and it's not to be shifty or sly or, de- or deceptive. We're going to close and we're going to perform and they're going to get the money that, that we told them that they would get. They're going to get the sale price that we told them they're going to get. It's all going to happen. And it happens hundreds of times a year for us. But that doesn't mean that you're a bad person if you don't give them $3,000 earnest money. I think that's above and beyond what's necessary personally. Um, I would try to get away with giving much, much less if you have to do it. If they, if they want something and they feel like that's something they need, then hundred bucks. You know, Usually if you say, what do you want? They may say $3,000. I don't know. It seems kind of crazy to even for them to say that, but you need to you need to cut that off. And, and if they say, well, what about earnest money? And then say, okay, tip, standard for us is to give $100 just to consummate the deal, just to make the deal binding. Um, so we can give you $100. And then remember, we're going to close really, really soon. Like we're going to get this thing and you're going to be able to get to the closing table by the end of the month or whatever it is that you, that you um, committed to. You, you just reiterate that's what's going to happen, right? So there's no reason why somebody should be demanding $3,000 from you earnest money. Um, I wouldn't, I would not get into the habit of giving people 3000 You don't have it. So you're not going to obviously, but it's keeping you from getting deals. You need to, if they're focusing on their earnest money that hard, then you're not probably doing a great job on the sales part. You're not doing a good enough job sitting with them, listening to them, truly empathizing with their situation, whatever's going on in their life, like really empathizing with that and, and hearing them and coming up with a really great solution to their problem. Aside from buying their house, typically there's another problem that you're dealing with in that situation. And buying the house typically is part of the solution, could be the whole solution, but sometimes it's only part of the solution. So you have to really you know, where, where people get in trouble is one of two things. Either they're trying to force someone to have motivation and they keep wondering why they're not getting deals, but they're dealing with people with no motivation sometimes. Or when price and EMD and money become the main focus of the negotiation, then usually that is a, it's a subpar job on the sales side. You need to really, really earn their trust through listening through empathy, through really solving their main problem. And usually it's not getting the most money for their house because if everybody wanted the most money they could possibly get for their house, I would never buy a property. Nobody would. Nobody would buy off-market properties because everybody would just put it on the MLS and they would sell it on the MLS and they'd get the most money possible. But they're not selling it on the MLS. And that's because they have a problem And selling it to you is a better solution for them. And you have to find out why it's a better solution for them. That's the entire goal when you're in the house or when you're talking to the seller on the phone or whatever it is, you need to find out why selling to you is a better solution than selling it on the MLS with a realtor. And it probably is, or they wouldn't have called you. They know they can put it on the MLS with a realtor. Everybody knows that. The MLS is what everybody knows. Wholesaling, nobody knows. Most people don't even know what it is, right? So sometimes the hurdle is getting them to 
uh, trust you that you're not some kind of a scammer or this isn't a scammy thing. Like it's not right. You're going to buy their house for cash and close quickly and all that. They need to understand that process. They need to believe you and trust you. And your job is to find out why you're a better solution than the MLS and, and, and why earnest money is not something that they have to be overly concerned about and certainly not to the tune of $3,000. So that's uh, what I would say there. <clears throat> Next question. This year, I am making it a priority to hire people who are a better fit for our company culture. Uh, what are some of the interview questions you recommend to ask to achieve this? Um, so I, I think making it a prior, priority to hire people who are a better fit for your company culture is key to hiring. I was listening uh, recently to a Simon Sinek uh, video on YouTube or watching it on YouTube. And uh, so he was talking about, he was working with the Navy, uh, the Navy SEALs uh, at one point. And he asked them, the Navy SEALs, the, the leaders, how do you choose the people who are going to be on SEAL Team 6, for example, right? Like the elite of the elite. Like, how do you choose who is on that team? And they drew, they, they drew him a diagram, an XY uh, diagram. And along the uh, X axis, it said skill. And along the Y axis, it said trust. And so skill was a measure and a, and a and way of like rating how skilled they were at what they do. And the Y axis was how much do we trust this person? Uh, how much do they fit in? with our values, in other words, right? So they told Simon that ideally they want someone who's in the top right corner. They have the most skill and they are the most trusted, right? That's obviously, that's the goal. But if you have to get somebody other than, or you have to take somebody other than the most skilled and the most trusted, they're always gonna go down a notch on skill and still try to keep the trust along the y-axis all the way to the right, right? The most trustworthy, the most uh, best fit for that team, even if the skill level has to go down a notch because they would have rather have somebody with mediocre relatively, right? We're talking about the Navy SEALs here, so nobody's mediocre, but mediocre skill set with maximum trust. They will take that every time. And so in your business, when you're hiring, sure, we all want the rock star who's a perfect perfect value fit for us. And they're of like the highest and the best integrity and all that. Like they're the best of the best that way. And they have the most skill. That's always who we want. But what happens in companies a lot is they'll trade culture for skill. And so they'll take the most skilled and they'll sort of like turn a blind eye or sort of try to ignore the fact that maybe they're not the greatest person in the world. I did this in my company, the Navy SEALs, called that a toxic leader. In my company, it was a toxic employee. I hired someone who was at the top of the scale in skill, but she was low on the scale of culture, uh, a culture fit and, and somebody with the values that I want in my company. And she performed at her job beautifully. She was highly skilled, like ran rings around other people who had been in that position in my company. She was unbelievably skilled. She was also unbelievably toxic. She 
almost broke my team apart. She could have actually maybe even run my company into the ground if she had stayed any longer. It was borderline full-on mutiny in my company because she was so toxic. She was ruining the culture. She was upsetting everybody who worked near her or with her. They were coming to us individually and saying, we can't work with her. She's deceptive. She's a liar. She's, you know, uh, stirs the pot, you know, like she's just a pot stirrer. And I, I kept making excuses for her because what she was, her skill level and, and her job performance was off the charts. It was so good. But her personality, her ethics, her morals, her values were horrible. Uh, and eventually, you know, she, she did, she was not with the company anymore. We, we let her go and it, it was close. We kept her too long and we made too many excuses for her because of how good she was at her job. And so hiring people and, and looking for a better company culture fit is critical. There's, it's tough. You can't necessarily ask questions about their value. I mean, you can, but it's a little bit too obvious and people in interviews are going to try to put their best foot forward, but you should ask them things like, you know, at, at your last job, tell me a time when something went wrong that you were involved in and it wasn't at all your fault, but you got blamed, right? We're trying to find out with that question does this person take responsibility? It, one of the one of the um, one of the values of my company is uh, extreme ownership, and it's it's taken directly from a book called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. And essentially, what it is is you don't blame people when things go wrong; you take the blame. You look internally. You raise your hand and say. I'll take this one. I could have performed better. I should have done this. I should have done that. You take ownership. And that sounds really crappy if you're like, well, wait a minute. I have to take all the owner, all the, you know, blame for everything. Yeah, but you are taking all the you're you're saying I, I'll take this on. But in a perfect situation, everybody else in the company who was involved in that situation is also saying, no, 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 it this one is on me. I could have done X, Y, and Z to, to avoid this problem. And the other person saying, no, 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 I, I got to take this one. Right. And it, can you imagine like, if you are running a company and all of your employees are like, this is my bad. This is on me. I, this is what I am going to do to fix it. Like, it'd be like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing in the world. If you, if you're a parent, you have kids and your kids come to you because of, you know, a vase broke or something. And you're like, who did this? And they all step forward and say, it's my fault. I should have known better. Like, are you going to be like, that's ridiculous. Stop taking credit for Brit. No, you'd be like, oh my gosh, my kids are amazing. Like nobody's pointing fingers. Nobody's trying to rat anybody out. Everyone is just saying, listen, I, I had a part to play in this. And I think if I was better, I could have, we could have avoided this. Like, that's amazing. So that's just one thing. But we start asking questions where we give the person we're interviewing complete open, like we give them the easiest opening to blame everybody else when something goes wrong. And if they take that bait and they go, oh, I can remember a lot of times where I got blamed and it wasn't my fault at all. And there was this time and it was my boss is an idiot and everybody I work with screwed up and they're stupid and I got blamed, but nothing's ever my fault. Like, you know, that person's not a good fit, right? Um, so you can ask questions where you leave it open-ended. And by the way, when you're interviewing people and you're trying to discover 
what their values are and what kind of a culture fit they'll be, the best way to do that is to ask very simple questions that are open-ended, sit back and let them talk and even let there be silence when they're done and see if they'll keep talking. The more you can make someone talk in an interview, the harder and harder it is for them to put their representative forward or to try to put like their best their best version of themselves out there. Everyone does. It's human nature. And you'd kind of be crazy if you didn't, but we're always trying to put the best version of ourselves out there. And we can do it for the questions that we've sort of rehearsed or that we've done in the past. But when someone just leaves it like open-ended and they just let you talk, let people talk because the more they talk, the more they reveal, reveal themselves. Everybody, everybody, you, me, anybody, the more you talk, the more you reveal yourself. And so in an interview situation, let them talk. Even if they're rambling, even if they're off topic, because the farther they go down that rabbit hole and the more off topic and the more rambling they do, the more they're showing you who they are, the more they're saying what's really in their mind, because the more they talk, the more they go off script. And that's what you want. And that's a great way to discover people's true feelings, people's true values, whether or not they're a culture fit, how they feel about teams, how they feel about themselves, how they feel about their boss. You know, I, I'm always turned off by, and I've had this happen in an interview. I start asking them open-ended questions about their last manager or boss or owner, or whoever they worked for. And when people just very, very willingly and easily slip into bad mouthing their last boss and then the one before that and then the one before that and it turns out everyone who's ever managed them is a moron you know if you hire that person believe me you're just going to be the next moron in the next interview that they talk about so let people talk they will absolutely reveal themselves to you if you let them talk so okay that is all the questions we have for today. Hopefully that was helpful for you. Really, really great questions. I appreciate it. Again, don't forget, we are here every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. If you go to Just Start Real Estate in Facebook, it's my Facebook page, Just Start Real Estate. If you're listening to this on my podcast or a replay somewhere, that's where you go to do this live every single week. <clears throat> and like I said, if you have a business, a real estate business, it's small, you want to grow it, you want to scale it, you don't know how to do that profitably, you don't know how to do it effectively, and you don't want to waste a bunch of money doing trial and error for the next 10 years. I get it. I wouldn't want to either. If you want to get this thing scaled up and get on track to making seven figures in the next 12 months, all you have to do is go to seven-figure investor, the word seven, sevenfigureinvestor.com, and I am here for you. We will get you on track. We'll get you there. I promise you, we will give you the tools to make it happen. You just have to go and check it out. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay, until next time.